say. It's a beautiful place if you, have, uh, if you want to go on vacation, highly recommended. And my wife grew up in the mission field. Um, we mentioned this in the morning, but I want to repeat it here. Both of us were the product of missions, I would say it. My family was uh, reached by a uh, missionary from Kentucky who went to Costa Rica to plant a church. My family got saved, or some of my family members, I got saved there. And then uh, the Lord called me to serve him. So I'm standing here, and I'm a missionary in Mexico because another missionary obeyed the Great Commission. And uh, I want to challenge you because uh, it would be wonderful to see more church members responding to the call of missions and going to the mission field. And my wife, she grew up in Mexico. She's a missionary kid. And uh, one thing that I believe is it's uh, wonderful about her testimony is that she grew up in the mission field as, a, as an MK. Um, then she went to study for ministry, and then she went back to Mexico as a single missionary. Um, and I believe that uh, that's, that's also an encouragement for you parents. Um, you know, many times we hear, oh, if, you know, if you take your children to church, uh, they're not going to want uh, to do anything with the Lord later on in life. Well, I, I believe that the Word of God is sufficient and effective. And uh, children need to be in church, and they need to learn how to love the Lord and the ministry. Um, so we grew up, she grew up in the mission field. We lived in Costa Rica, got married in 2016. We lived there for uh, five years. And I, I never thought that I was going to live in Costa Rica. We were living in the tropical paradise, and the Lord allowed us to build a, a beautiful house and, and enjoy the country and, and so on. And, and we, we were serving there um, part-time. I was working in, at, an, at an international company in human resources and serving in our church. Um, and we were counseling. We, we believe that the word of God is sufficient. In, the, in Romans 15, 14 and uh, Galatians 6, 1, it tells us what the requirements for biblical counselors are. And uh, you can read there, you, you should be filled with knowledge and filled with uh, grace and, and with the right attitude. Um, and as we were serving in Costa Rica, the Lord burdened our hearts to prepare others for the ministry. So um, I ended up quitting my job. Um, and after seeking counsel and guidance, the Lord led us to serve at Ebenezer Bible College in Mexico. This is in Hermosillo. Hermosillo is a city uh, in Sonora that is only about six hours down from here. So it's a, it's a short drive, wink, wink, mission trip. Um, and maybe, you know, we will see you there someday. We'll love to. Um, and we were invited by this man. His name is Josue Guzman. He's the academic dean of the school. Um, a couple, about three years ago, he was doing a master's degree in biblical counseling. He started that degree. Then he transferred to a PhD in, in, in theology. But when he was exposed to what the Word of God says about counseling, he thought, we need this in our school. We need, we need to go deeper in what biblical counseling is. So he knew about us. He knew of our ministry in Costa Rica. And he invited us to teach online. Right around that time is when we were praying on a place where we could serve and teach biblical counseling to others. So we, um, we sought counsel. We spoke with him. Um, and then we decided that this would be the place to serve. Uh, we also joined a mission board. It's a small mission board. It started here in Arizona, in Phoenix, 
Uh, it's called Mexican Gospel Mission International. It was founded by Leonardo Mercado. If you have heard about the Mercado family, uh, it was founded by him. Um, recently, they celebra we celebrated our 93rd anniversary in the mission board. So it's been around for a long time, although it's a, mission, a small mission board. So we joined this mission board and we made our way to Mexico uh, in August of 2021. We have been there for uh, two and a half years. And maybe you're wondering why leaving uh, Costa Rica, why didn't you do the ministry in Costa Rica? Well, we thought about that. Costa Rica is a very small country. There's only about 5 million people in the whole country, less than 200 Baptist churches. And as, as far as we know, about three Bible colleges or institutes, but are very small. So when we were praying about teaching others on what biblical counseling is, uh, one of the things that we wanted to do is teach at a place who had a good and solid theological foundation. Without a biblical solid theological foundation, you can't have proper biblical counseling because biblical counseling teaches what the Bible says. So we, um, we discarded the option of doing it in Costa Rica and... Um, and, and, and also, one thing that I'd like to mention about our ministry here is, um, as, as, we were, as we were doing ministry in, in, in my home country, we were counseling people, um, our ministry was growing in the sense that we were getting a lot of people coming to us for counsel. But one, that also came up with a problem. We were having pastors in our area, and even a couple of hours away from where we lived, uh, and these pastors and churches, they were sending us their sheep. They were sending us their people with, with problems. And it's not that we didn't want to counsel them. It's just that it's not the biblical model. The biblical model is that counseling should happen in the context of a local church and should be done by spiritual believers who have a proper knowledge of the scripture. So... What we wanted to do more than anything was to be able to pass the baton and teach others. And I believe that's the biblical model as well in 2 Timothy 2, 2, where Paul uh, instructs Timothy that he should be able to be teaching faithful men so they can be teaching others. So that's, that's why the Lord led us to Mexico. It was from the tropics to the desert. And uh, it, was, uh, it wasn't a, a difficult decision in the sense that it was clear that it was God's will for us to go there and teach others. Um, besides our ministry, and our main ministry is Ebene um, uh, the Bible College in Mexico. Uh, the full name in Spanish is Instituto Practico Ebenecer. We call it in English Ebenecer Bible College. The college has been around for over 50 years in Mexico. And um, we offer one degree, and it's a Bible degree. It's a theology degree. Students from all over Mexico, they come to the Bible school. They live there. We have about 50 to 60 students every year. And our main ministry is teaching counseling. Uh, we are developing and strengthening our curriculum. One of the goals that we have in the short to midterm is to develop a master's degree in biblical counseling in Spanish. And... Uh, I also like to mention this about uh, the biblical, the Bible college in Mexico. Um, this college 
has prepared and sent missionaries from Mexico, fully supported by Mexican churches, to other parts of the world. We have students who have graduated and they're missionaries in Ghana, Africa, in Thailand, here in the US, ministering to the Hispanics in, in the States, to South America. Um, and, and I see that, and I wanna, I wanna share this with you because it is very encouraging to know that other countries are also sending out missionaries. It's not something that is only happening here, it's happening in other countries, and we get to be part of that. We are also teaching these students at our Bible college. We're teaching them how to go back to their churches in Mexico and to do proper counseling using the word of God, not neglecting the medical aspects of what counseling involves, but to be able to teach the, the word, to preach uh, the scriptures and to disciple and um, counsel their uh, flock. Uh, we're serving at Emmanuel Baptist Church, where my wife's uh, father is the pastor. Um, we're in charge of the young adults group. Uh, when we um, joined the church, they didn't have anybody working with the young adults, and it was quite a good number of young adults. And it, I believe it's something that happens also here in the States, that the young adults uh, are the ones leaving the churches in the highest numbers. So we wanted to reach out to them, to disciple them, to minister to them. And uh, we meet about every two weeks with them, have different activities. And uh, also, um, I get to teach them Sunday school um, on Sunday mornings. And my wife teaches uh, the young ladies uh, at the church as well. Uh, we're leading a, um, an outreach ministry every Saturday. So every Saturday, we go from 9 a.m. to around 2 p.m. to a nearby community. It's kind of a rough area in the city of Hermosillo. Uh, it's called Round Rock or Piedra Bola. And we have a number of different things going on. We have a Bible club where we go and we knock on doors and we invite kids to come and, and we do some games, then a Bible lesson. And then we give them something, uh, something to snack on. We try to be healthy, so we give them fruits. Um, we also have a discipleship. So some of the moms that come to the Bible club with the kids, uh, we have some ladies in our church who are helping us, and they're um, sharing the gospel with them. And a couple of them have gotten saved. So these ladies from our church are discipling these other ladies. And then we also go and do door-to-door uh, -door evangelism. That's still very effective in a sense in Mexico. Um, and, and Mexicans in general, they, they're very kind. If you knock on their door and they may not uh, want to do anything with the gospel, that they, were, they will hear you, what you have to say. So that's, that's a blessing. And we get to do that every Saturday. Um, as I mentioned, I'm doing the Sunday school classes with the young adults in our church. Um, and and this is, these are some of the classes that we teach at the Bible school. So church history, life of Christ, poetic books, apologetics, counseling, and whatever is needed that we, that we get to teach. Um, one, one question that I often get asked is, uh, does the school pay you? Well, they can pay us because uh, well, we have been working with our religious visa, so we can't receive payment, number one. And number two, just to give you a perspective. So what we charge our students in Mexico for tuition, board, and room, for everything, it's $200 per month. So that covers everything. And that has to cover also uh, a little bit to pay the salaries of our Mexican faculty and staff. So there, 
I mean, we're making miracles with our finances down there. Why can't we increase the cost? Because we're trying to reach out to more uh, individuals in Mexico. And northern Mexico tends to be more expensive than southern Mexico. So $200 for somebody living in the north, it is, you know, it, it is a considerable amount. But from, the, from somebody in the south, it is a lot of money. So we try to keep the costs reasonable. Uh, praise the Lord. Uh, we are uh, self-supported. The school is self-supported in the sense that uh, what, what we receive from the um, payment from the students allows us to run the school. And, that, and that, I believe it's a blessing. Um, but we, we can be paid by the school, if that makes sense. Uh, besides the ministry of the church and at the Bible College, uh, we do mission trips. We recently took a team to Costa Rica on a mission trip. We do mission trips to nearby communities. And then uh, we get to work on different things in, at the school, remodeling. There's always remodeling. We have uh, the boys' dorm. It's 90-plus years old. So every, every summer we have to do a lot of maintenance. Um, and we're praying. We, we want to uh, build a new boys' dorm. So we're in the process of getting the paperwork for that. Um, because of my background in, in HR when I was in Costa Rica, they allowed me to do some uh, process improvement work um, in, in the, at the school, in the administrative area. And uh, we have some other projects, including a, installing solar panels that we would like to do, and that way we could save some money in electricity and invest it in the school or paying better salaries for Mexican faculty and staff. The Lord has also given us opportunities to go to other places uh, in Mexico and the States and provide uh, workshops on what biblical counseling is. Um, we have been able to travel to six different cities in two years that we have been in Mexico, providing uh, week-long seminars on uh, specific topics like anxiety or, and depression, or just a general overview on what biblical counseling is. Um, this is uh, a rehab center in San Luis Potosí, the center of, of Mexico. Um, and then we, we were able to teach last year, if I'm not mistaken, at the uh, Hispanic Conference here, here in the States. Uh, we continue to work on our own education. We're getting a certification on, uh, through the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. Um, and I'm working on finishing one more course before, Lord willing, I get to enroll in a Doctor of Ministry in Biblical Counseling to be able to teach a Master's Degree in Biblical Counseling at our school. So that's one of the projects that we have in mind, if you can pray for us. Why a master's degree in biblical counseling? Because we, get to, we, we, we receive students from all over Mexico and we get to teach them, but often we get calls from pastors saying, oh, I'm dealing with this situation. Somebody in my church is going through this, and you put the name situation. What do we have in resources in Spanish? How can I help this individual? And there isn't a whole lot in Spanish. So if we, if we have a, a, a more advanced degree that they can do online and provide the resources online for pastors in Mexico and Latin America already in their fields, I believe that will be a great advantage. Um, another project would be to work, and, and we have been collecting resources and, and, and recommend, recommended books. Uh, we want to post it on an online site so we can offer this as resources in Spanish. Um, and we appreciate your prayers. Uh, as we mentioned, we have been in the field for two years now. Um, 
we're about 50% of our support, and, and the Lord has been faithful. We haven't lacked anything, but we believe it's the responsible thing to do to increase the support to um, the levels that we responsibly should have. So please pray for us in that sense. And please pray for our ministry in Mexico. We love what we do. It's, it's no sacrifice. Um, the Lord sent us to a country with one of the most uh, delicious, you know, cuisines in the world. Um, and uh, we love what we do, um, but we cover your prayers. There is a need everywhere. There's need here in Phoenix, and there's a big need down in Hermosillo. So uh, we really appreciate the time to present what we do, and uh, please keep us in your prayers. At the, on the back, we have our table. We have prayer cards. So if you, if you uh, can pray for us and grab one of those, we would really, really appreciate it. All right. So um, if anybody has questions, I can take some in the back later on. But we're going to move to uh, the time of uh, preaching this morning. And these are some of the prayer requests that I had mentioned. Um, and the next, uh, uh, we have the next uh, PowerPoint presentation ready. So I want to share with you uh, from the epistle of Second Timothy. And we're going to be in chapter 3, verses... Uh, 16 and 17, we're mostly going to stay there. We're not going to move a lot. And uh, so bear with me for the next 20-some minutes. And uh, we're going to learn and we're going to see how this portion of Scripture teaches us that the Word of God is sufficient to guide us through life. The Word of God is sufficient to guide us through life. So let's read. Um, and verse 16 of 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 tells us that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you this morning for the privilege that we have to open your word and be able to read it and understand what you're saying. Uh, thank you, Lord, because we believe that the word of God is sufficient. It is enough for our life, for the difficult situations that we may be going through, and even for future decisions that we need to make. Help us, Lord, to believe in you. Help us, Lord, to trust you, to make the corrections that we need to do in our lives, to be living a God-honoring life, and help us, Lord, to be humble and admit and understand that we need your help and that we need your word. Uh, Lord, I pray that you will give me the wisdom to ex explain the text and to apply it to our lives in this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Back in um, 2000, early 2000s, maybe uh, late uh, 90s, a little device came to change the way we travel, and that was the GPS, the Global Positioning System. Um, if you remember, back in the day when we traveled, we had an atlas, remember? And you had to make a long trip, a road trip, and you had to choose the route, and you mark it on, and, and somebody was there with you in the, in, the, you know, in the passenger seat telling you what exit to take, and if there was a change in the road, or if you had an old atlas, that was an adventure. But then when the GPS came, um, everything changed. What do you do with the GPS? You input the address, the GPS uh, loads up the information, and it tells you how long it's going to take you to get there, what's the estimated time of arrival. Um, and even, you know, r modern cars, they have the GPS incorporated in the vehicle, or you carry a GPS with you at all times in your pocket. 
And if you have a good app, the app is going to even tell you, it's going to even teach you when there's a cop on the road. So you can slow down. So it, it really, uh, it does a, a job of teaching. So the GPS, you input the address and it teaches you something. The routes, times, challenges and, and dangers on the road. And then if you're diligent, you're going to listen to what the GPS is saying and you're going to start driving, obeying uh, this teaching. But then uh, in some cases and some relationships, one of the two, usually the man, he says, oh, I have an internal GPS. I don't need that. Let me, let, me, let me show you this shortcut. And then you're driving, and then you take a detour. The GPS immediately starts rebuking you. At the end of the road, turn right or turn left or make a U-turn. And it doesn't stop. And, you know, it's, it's telling you. And, and um, sometimes your uh, spouse does a good job rebuking you as well. And, you know, the elbow move. And you, you have to turn around. And if you're diligent, you're going to listen to the rebuke. And you're going to make a correction. And what the correction is, you're going to go back to the highway. You're going to go back to the road that the GPS was teaching you. And if you want to make it to your destination safely, you're going to continue in the path that the GPS is teaching you. Now, you may be thinking... What does a GPS have to do with 2 Timothy chapter uh, 3, verses 16 and 17? Well, as a way of illustration, the GPS does or, or is able to teach us um, how to get to a destination, and it rebukes us, and it corrects us, and it instructs us in the right path. In the same manner, the Word of God, and if you look at it with me, in verse 16 tells us a number of things that the Word of God does in our lives tells us that the Word of God is profitable for doctrine, number one, reproof, number two, correction, number three, and instruction in righteousness, number four. Now, verse 17, we're going to look at it at the end of this teaching time, but hopefully we're going to be able to understand this morning how is the Word of God sufficient to guide us through life. Number one, the Word of God is sufficient to guide us through life by... Or, or it teaches us, or it wants us to humbly submit to the teaching of the scripture. And the word used in verse 16 is doctrine. Now I want to take some time and define what this word doctrine means. Doctrine uh, is the word of God provides the content or the doctrine that teaches us what is approved by God for his good, for his honor, and our good. Now it is important, and I, I'm... I'm uh, sharing with you that the Word of God is sufficient to guide us through life. One of the things that we commonly see in individuals is that they make a distinction of two, basically two worlds, the secular world and the spiritual world. And they will, they will you know, if somebody comes with a question, what is the Trinity? Or what about the problem of evil? Or what about the deity of Christ? If, if a question like that comes to mind, most people are going to say, oh, let's go to the Bible. And, and they're going to look for doctrinal truths in the scripture. But then when somebody has to buy a vehicle or um, they want to get married to someone or change a job, they may not go to the scripture because they don't see it as a doctrinal issue. It's a life practice issue. And what I'm telling you here in this uh, first point is that the Word of God 
provides the content or the doctrine, the truth that teaches us what is approved by God for his honor and glory. The word of God teaches us in either principle or in a direct commandment absolutely everything that we need for life and godliness. Now, this doesn't mean that if you need to solve a uh, chemistry formula or a uh, you know, engineering, you need to pass an engineering test. You don't go to the scripture to find the answer to those formulas because the Bible is not a chemistry book. But whatever it has to say about numbers is true. In principle, what the Word of God is telling us is that if you need to find the truth, if you need guidance for any aspect of your life, you need to humbly submit to the teaching of the scripture because the Bible is sufficient for doctrine, for whatever we need in our lives. So once again, going back to the three examples that I was offering you here uh, a moment ago. If you need to buy a vehicle, you can pray and you can see what principles the Word of God is teaching us so you can apply it to your life and for your uh, new vehicle uh, search efforts. Or if you need to marry or you want to marry someone, well, you need to go to the Word of God and see what principles apply to that decision that you're about to make. Or if you need to change a job and you're, you're, you want a new job, well, there are principles in the Scripture that you can apply for your job searching efforts. And you name it. You can think of any area of, our, of your life that you're making a decision or that you need, to, uh, you need guidance and the Word of God is going to give you uh, that guidance. In 2 Timothy 2.15, now look at 2 Timothy 2.15. It's just a page behind. Uh, Paul is writing to Timothy once again, and he's t telling him here in verse 15, study, thyself to, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And notice that Paul is, is telling Timothy to study, to show himself approved unto God, someone that doesn't need to be ashamed, and it gives us a, a, a description. It says, rightly dividing the word of truth. So we need to be, in order to be making these decisions that will be God-honoring and that will be for your good, what is the requisite? The requisite is that you need to be studying the word because the word of God is profitable for doctrine. How are we going to know the doctrine? How are we going to apply these passages to our scripture and make decisions that would honor the Lord and that will be for our good if we don't know our Bible? When I was a teenager, my pastor in Costa Rica, who was a missionary, every Sunday he would ask before Sunday school, who read the Bible every day this past week? It was my least favorite moment of the week. Because it put me on the spot. It was embarrassing. And, you know, many times he will say something like, you don't have to raise your hands. So it wasn't an, he, he wasn't trying to embarrass us. But he was trying to make us think that it is so important to be in the Word. And I want to challenge you just a little bit more. The, the Word of God is not just, a, or studying the Word of God is not just about reading. It's about understanding what you're reading and meditating on it. So I want to challenge you. If, if, if you're in a moment that you're making a decision and you're like, you know, I have no idea what the Word of God has to say about this situation. Can I encourage you to 
look at the scripture and ask yourself this question for whatever situation and decision you're going through. What does the word of God say about my situation? Stop for a moment and think. If you're, if you're like me, we all have challenges and difficulties. Maybe it's a work-related issue. Maybe you're, not, you're, uh, you're having issues with a coworker. Maybe it's a business or financial decision, and you don't know what to do, and you're on the point that you're like, oh, I don't, I'm in trouble. Ask yourself this question. What does the Word of God say about my situation? And I can assure you of something. It's not going to lead you to a sinful answer. If you look at the word of God, it's going to lead you to a God-honoring answer that is going to be for his glory and your good. What does the word of God say about raising a family, about a kid who is having problems at school, about a teenager that is rebellious, about a spouse that is distant? What does the word of God say? I can assure you the answer is there. Your job and my job is like 2 Timothy 2.15 tells us, study the word so you can rightly divide it and rightly understand and apply it to your life. So if we believe that the word of God is sufficient to guide us through life, and the second thing that we need to do is not only look at the truth and understand what we're reading, but also be willing to yield to the reproof of the word of God. And then uh, this word, reproof, is not something that we commonly use, maybe not too often in our language. But what is reproof? Uh, one of my professors at, at the school, he used to define it this way. God's word shows our sin, makes us see our responsibility, and calls us to repentance. That's the word of God teaching us. And once we know the truth, the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, is going to rebuke us or is going to repro bring reproof to our lives. Um, the Holy Spirit, uh, it, it's, it, and it's not just the conscience, it's the Holy Spirit bringing the truths of the Word and letting us know that there is something that we're doing or thinking that is not honoring God. Now, I, I'm convinced that this is where most Christians... Uh, are stuck and many people who are struggling with guilt and shame are stuck in this stage and the reason is they know the truth they know that what they're doing is not honoring God they know that what they're thinking brings shame to God's name they know that the friendships that they have are not helping them grow they know that their lack of commitment to the church and to the scripture is not right. They know it. The Holy Spirit is bringing conviction. They know what the word of God teaches, but they refuse to yield to that reproof. Remember the example that I gave you at the beginning about the GPS? The equivalent would be someone who is driving a vehicle. The GPS is telling them what the route is. And they continue to drive in the wrong path. And the Holy Spirit and the GPS is not going to stop rebuking. It's not going to stop saying, you're in the wrong route. Turn around. Take this other road. Go back. Go back. And you, you, you're listening to it through your speakers. And, 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 and people around you in the vehicle may be telling you, you're, in the, you're going the wrong direction. And you feel the pressure. And you, you know you made a mistake. But you don't want to go back. 
you don't want to get back in the, in, in the route. It is the same um, that, we, that we go through when the Holy Spirit is bringing his reproof and we don't yield to it. Now, uh, Pro, uh, Proverbs 28, 13 tells us that he that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Now, what do we need to do with this reproof, as I'm mentioning, if the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, is bringing you conviction that there is something wrong in your life, the next step, and we're going to see it here in a moment, will be we need to make the necessary corrections to get back to a proper relationship with the Lord, to seek repentance. Um, now, I, I mentioned here also that this doesn't necessarily have to do with something sinful. Maybe you're making a decision about a new job. Is there anything wrong about switching jobs? No. Uh, is there anything wrong about certain decisions that we make? That is, they're not necessarily sinful. So what I want to challenge you is to think biblically when we are about to make those decisions. For example, one of the questions that we need to ask is, based on what I learned from the scripture, how do I evaluate my situation? Is there a need for repentance? You read the scripture, there is the teaching, and then you, uh, you're praying and seeking guidance. Is there a need for repentance? Maybe you say, yes, then the next thing that we need to do is confess and repent. You know how far away is a restored relationship with the Lord? It's a prayer away. Praise the Lord. We don't have to go to the other side of the world and take a long walk to a sacred site to be cleansed for our sins or to have a reconciled relationship with the Lord if you're already one of His children. We can only pray. And 1 John 1, 9 tells us that he's able to cleanse us and forgive our sins. And we can have a restored relationship with the Lord. And then you can go back to the right track. Or maybe you need to ask, does my decision violate any direct commandment? Will it bring the most glory to God? We're making decisions sometimes in our lives. And one of the things that we do need to ask is, from these three good decisions, there's nothing sinful about them. Which one will bring more glory to God? Or maybe you can ask, will Christians be edified and unbelievers not stumble? I don't believe it's fair to say, oh, I don't care. I live my life however I want it, and I don't care what others think. We should care. We don't want to be stumbling blocks for the world. And we do want to be edifying our believers. Now, we don't live out of fear of men. But we need to care. Number three, not only the Word of God teaches us what is true, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit rebukes us of our sin, but number three, there is a step very important here. And, uh, and I believe many believers also struggle to understand their active part in their sanctification. We need to, number three, intentionally accept the correction of the Lord. What is correction? So a simple definition is a restoration to an upright or right state. If you have ever uh, parked somewhere and you decide to back up, and you're backing up, and all of a sudden you feel a little bit of resistance, and you're like, I hope it's the wind. But then you stop, you get out of your car, and there was a post, and now the post is bent over. So you pull up, 
a little bit, you grab that post, you pray for strength, and then you bring it back to the right position. That is what this word correction means. Something is in the wrong state, and then you bring it back to the right position. Just as fixing a bent post, we need to make some corrections. Now, one thing that we have seen in counseling is people that come to us or that ask us for prayer because they're struggling with a life-dominating sin, and they want to get rid of it. They, they pray, Lord, take it away from me. I don't want to do drugs anymore. Or I don't want to be watching these immoral programs. Or I don't want to be seeing this person. Or I don't want to be hanging out with these friends. Lord, help me. I don't want to do it. So there's a lot of people like that in our, in our, in our churches. And maybe you're one of them. This step of correction... The, the other three, you, you read the word of God and you pray that the Lord of God brings rebuke to your heart. You are working. The, the, the Bible reminds us that we need to work out our salvation. We're not saved by works. Never. We're saved by grace. But we need to grow in our sanctification and we have an active part on it. And let me give you an illustration to, to, uh, so we can understand this point. There was a man was addicted to tacos. And he had taco posters in his room. And he had taco holders to put his cards. And the screensaver of his phone was a taco. And every day, he would have a taco, the cabeza in the morning, and tacos al pastor in the evening. And he went to the doctor. And he had cholesterol problems and all kinds of things. And the doctor said, you have an addiction. You have a problem. You need to do something about it. So he went back to his room, and he was a Christian. And he prayed, Lord, I don't want to have a taco addiction anymore. This is giving me problems with my family and my health. And I can't stop thinking about tacos. And he said, amen. And uh, he went to sleep. The next morning, he got up, and he, he put his... Uh, tacos uh, uh, shoes on and he looked at his taco poster and then he grabbed his phone and he looked at the taco and then he drove through the same street that he drives every day with taco stands and he smelled the tacos and he was tempted but ah that was so good and then he went back to his to his job and he had all kinds of taco figures he got out of work and his old friends invited him to go for a taco and he said, you know what, I'm going to go to the taco stand, but I'm not going to eat tacos. I'm just going to be there. Once he was there, somebody offered him a taco, and he said, I'm just going to smell it. And he smelled it, and he put it back. And then second thing he did is, you know what, I'm not going to swallow it. I'm just going to chew on it. So they gave him a taco, and he just kept it on his mouth, but the temptation was too great, and he finally swallowed it. And then he cried out, Lord, why do you made me fall into this terrible addiction of tacos again. Now, I, I want to ask you this question. Was the man, was, did God fail him? Was it, was, was it God's fault that he fell into this temptation and he sinned? It wasn't. He did not intentionally accept the correction and made the proper changes in his life. So he would be away from this thing that the scripture and counselors and, and people that loved him had told him, you need to stay away from it. He, 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 maybe he listened to the rebuke, but he didn't do his part in his active sanctification. 
How do people change? What do we do? Well, Ephesians chapter 4, Romans chapter 12, and Colossians chapter 3. And for the sake of time, we're not going to go to those passages. I'm mentioning to you in case you want to take notes. How do people change? We put off the old man. We stop doing what dishonors the Lord and what is not good for us. Number two, we think appropriately what the Word of God tells us to think. Romans 12 tells us that. And number three, we put on the new man. We think and do the things that honor the Lord, and we do it for his glory. Now, biblical change is not just a change of behavior. It's a change of heart. And we do it for his glory, and we cannot do it alone. We need his grace. We need his, his help. But you, if the Lord is convicting you of something that you need to change, you need to obey him, and you need to willingly accept the correction and make the necessary changes. As someone who is driving a vehicle and knows they're going in the wrong route, if you're going in the wrong direction, you need to turn around and, take the and make the necessary changes. What do I need to do to get in the right track again? What friendships, what habits, what things that we look at, what people that we talk to, what do we need to do to get in the right track back again? And number four, and lastly, we need to diligently continue in the right path. This is instruction in righteousness. Look at verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for. We saw doctrine, number two, reproof, number three, correction, and number four, instruction in righteousness. What is instruction in righteousness? Is to continue walk in the right path. How? Trusting in the Spirit's guide. This is what the Word of God uh, teaches us in Psalm 119, 105, and John 15 and 16. We need to be depending on Christ, the vine. We need to be depending on the Lord and His Word. And we need to be building others up. We can't do this without the help of our brothers and sisters in Christ. What a great testimony was to hear how the church, this church, jumped in to help others. How, just think how much we need each other in our lives to grow and, and, and to help and, and to minister to one another. We need to diligently continue doing and uh, growing in the right path. So one question that we need to be asking is, what godly habits do I need to implement or reinforce to sustainably grow in this area and glorify the Lord in the long term? What do you and what do I need to do to continue in righteousness. Some conclusions that we're going to look at and we finish. The sufficiency of the Bible should encourage us as we try to discern what God would, want, would like us to think regarding a particular issue or do in a particular situation. Remember, God's will is more of an exercise of discernment than of discovery. The sufficiency of the scripture reminds us not to add anything to the Bible and not to give anything else equal value to the Bible. Neither psychology, philosophy, or our own opinion is enough. Only the word of God is enough. The sufficiency of the Bible reminds us that in our doctrinal and ethical teaching, we must emphasize what the Bible emphasizes and be content with what the Lord has told us in his word. 
And verse 17, remember verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works. Verse 17 reminds us the purpose of verse 16. The believer has everything in God's word to glorify him and do his will. May the Lord help us to be diligent, studying the word, obeying the Lord, being submissive to the Lord, and uh, continue depending on the Lord and his word. Pastor? Pastor?